Welcome to Indoctrination, a weekly conversation series about protecting yourself from systems of control. I'm your host, Rachel Bernstein. I want to make sure to say thank you to everyone who is supporting the podcast. I received so much nice feedback and people I know have been sending the content and episodes out to others who they know it will be helpful for. And that's really wonderful. And I'm so glad that you're doing that. I want to make sure to give a special shout out to the people who have gone to Patreon and are helping to support the show for $10 or more per month. I could not do this without you. So a special thank you to Alex, Anne and Richard, Brianna, Camus, Christina, Jake, James, Katrina, Ken, Lillian, Linda, Maureen, Miss Nanya, Peter and Cynthia, Scott, and Sylvia and Bert. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Sarah Landry is on the show again today. This is her third time speaking with us. I've been in touch with her, and she let me know that there have been some new developments that she wanted to be able to let some people know about. I have heard a lot of feedback from her interviews on the show, and people were kind of curious to see if the law was going to catch up with her former guru, Nitanyanda. So here's an update from Sarah. And then after, during the one more thing before you go, I'll be talking to you about the apologies you should accept and the ones you should not. Here's Sarah. So I really want to thank Sarah for joining me today uh, for this third time that we're talking. And I wanted to also say that if people haven't had an opportunity to do so, to to recognize the artisan that Sarah is and that she has wonderful jewelry that she makes. And um, I was just mentioning that to her. So if you can, if you can repeat what you said to me about being able to appreciate colors after your experience. I, I don't mean in any way to come off as judgmental of the actual sannyas tradition, like where, where Indian renunciants and their spiritual tradition and, or Buddhist renunciants wear orange, um, because I appreciate the, the divine purpose for that. Um, but I grew to really miss having a rainbow of colors around me when I was there living in um, the cult of Nityananda, uh, because he made it mandatory that in his in his entire ashram, everything used by sannyasis had to be orange, and all the buildings that we lived in were painted this kind of dark ochre color. So imagine if if you go from having a, a color palette in your life that right. that the full spectrum to suddenly you're limited to shades of brown and orange. Um, that that alone was a, a confinement that I didn't even realize I was trapped in. I mentioned in our previous interview that I, I spent about a year going through a deprogramming process, kind of self-driven just by reading books and watching videos. But it, it's funny, until you mentioned the jewelry, I wouldn't have even thought of that as one of the crucial steps on my on my healing journey. But it definitely was. Yeah, it, you know, I think um, for for people I work with, sometimes when they um, 
are sitting in the support group that I run, just uh, speaking up or taking time to share their thoughts. They have been so conditioned to feel insignificant or to feel like by talking, they're taking time up. They're wasting time. They're taking time that someone else might want or is going to then be upset with them for taking. And so I notice they do a lot of checking in with each other, reading each other's faces right. to find out if it's okay. And you know, it's hard for them to, I think, just relax Yeah. again, because that things have been punishable that are not necessarily so punishable in, in the world outside. And so, yes, all these little moments that seem little are not so little, but I'm happy also that you have something where you can devote your attention and your focus, because I know so much of what's been happening now has also been attention and focus about Nitanyanda. And, and I would love to be able to talk about what's happened. Well, I mean, it, it's been a, a bigger and faster um, action taken by the Indian judiciary than what I, what I could have hoped for or imagined when we last spoke. Especially because of a lot of people in other ex-cult communities were telling me not to really get too excited to see justice served because a lot of times whistleblowers will come forward and then, you know, years go by and nothing happens. Mm. And so the best a whistleblower can hope to do is share their story and potentially save other people from falling into that trap. But in the case of Nityananda, he has so many crimes that he's committed and so many people he's victimized that luckily through through kind of a coincidental team effort where each of us are coming forward independently of each other not only the public is getting to know who he really is but the police are being forced to pay attention oh, so since we last spoke there's a, a man from south india he's from bangalore very near to where nityananda had his ashram who had given up his entire business. He was working as a CEO of a fairly successful company. Um, he gave up his business to be Nityananda's personal secretary. Mm -hmm. And when he and his wife moved to the ashram, they brought their four children with them and enrolled their kids in the Gurukul, uh, which was that abusive school I mentioned last time. Mm -hmm. So when Nityananda fled to Ecuador, he brought this man's eldest daughter with him and didn't tell the man he was bringing his, I think she was then 18 or maybe 19 at the oldest. Wow. Um, he, that man was just told that his daughter is traveling. And I mean, it's common in that cult for kids to travel to demonstrate the so-called third eye magic powers. So he didn't really think much of it until, you know, a year went by and he hadn't seen or heard from his daughter. But he was so busy with his own volunteer work that he he didn't really worry too much. I mean, it, it might sound inconceivable to people in the real world for a, for a father not to worry about the location of his teenage daughter. But in this cult, the guru is trusted with such, an, such a supreme authority that nobody questions anybody's safety if you're told, well, he's taking care. Um, but just about a month ago or a month and a half ago, this man got an email from his second daughter saying, please come take us away from this place. And the, the three younger kids were staying in the Gujarat Gurukul because the one outside of Bangalore had been kind of temporarily shut down. The kids were all moved to Gujarat. So he and his wife went there to pick up the three kids. 
And to their shock and horror, they weren't allowed to even see their children. And it's crazy because at that point in time, he still held a high position within the organization. He was still on Nityananda's personal secretarial team, but taking care of things in India. And so he didn't expect that at the gate they would they would deny him entry to the school or to see his own kids. Right. And so they went back day after day, and each time they were told the same thing that that they're not allowed to see their kids unless as they call him, Swamiji, gives the approval for it. And finally, these parents started to get a little frantic because they got this message from their daughter saying, please come save us. And they went there and they're not allowed to see the kids. So they went to the police and the police got a warrant and they went back to the school and the the admins wouldn't open the gate even for the police who held a warrant. Oh, and so whatever these, whatever these people thought they were going to achieve by denying the police entry with a warrant, uh, it failed miserably. Yeah, that's never going to go well. No, that didn't go well. So that escalated the warrant. And of course, the police went back again with basically a troop of other officers. And meanwhile, this, this organization had moved the three kids of this family to an off-campus home hmm. so that when the police came in with the warrant, they, weren't, they wouldn't be able to find the kids. Oh, wow. And again, that escalated matters. So finally, um, through police pressure, the man was able to get back his two youngest kids, his youngest daughter and youngest son. But the third daughter, who had in the meantime turned 18, was flown out of India. And so my belief is that she must be in Ecuador. Um, but what she claims on social media is that she's in Trinidad and Tobago. Oh, okay. So when the two younger kids joined their parents, they held a press conference with Indian media. And the parents were saying like, okay, we didn't mean to leave the organization. We, we, they were not, they didn't intend to become whistleblowers or to fight the cult when they went to Gujarat. They just meant to get their kids back. Mm-hmm. But the way they were treated and the way they were denied the right to see their own children kind of woke them up to start paying attention to what the other whistleblowers are saying. And that's when they started their research. And, you know, the father of this family had mentioned to me that he was never going to ask his kids if they had been beaten or sleep deprived or starved because he didn't want to push them, like knowing the brainwashing they were under and that they would have been told it's guru droha or a crime to talk about it. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to push them. Mm-hmm. Like he, he was kind of planning to wait for them to come to him. Right. But one of the first days they did a press conference, one of the reporters turned towards the kids and asked them point blank, were you ever abused in the school? And they confirmed everything that I had said in my videos. Um, the, the girl who's 15 years old said there was a day in December of 2017 where the teachers forced us all to beat, each, to beat each other until we were bleeding and injured. And then we were locked in the school and not allowed to see anybody until we healed. And in fact, the abuse she mentioned went far, far worse than anything I had revealed because 
she went into later issues that I didn't know about when I first blew the whistle Mm -hmm. and said that kids were also beaten by adults on a fairly regular basis. And the child labor laws that they're violating are crazy. Like these kids were forced to create 10,000 social media accounts, fake accounts um, to support the guru and to to do character assassination against anybody who goes against him, which is something I'm all too familiar with. Right. Yeah. And she mentioned, you know, multiple times being woken up at midnight or at 1 a.m. and forced to do their makeup and put on jewelry and put on fancy clothes and make videos talking about how happy they are. Mm-hmm. And she said there were some kids that that the adults were shaking them and and you know forcing them to wake up, totally sleep deprived poor little kids mm-hmm. um, being being made up and dolled up and forced to go on camera. But you know, thanks to this man, Jamadan Sharma, and and his personal quest to get his family back to safety, yeah. the entire Indian national media became aware of just how monstrous this fake guru is. Mm. And so they picked up the story, especially once it was found that the girls, the two elder daughters, were moved out of India without their parents' knowledge. And then these two elder daughters who... Both of them have videos on their personal YouTube channels praising their family, talking about how blessed they were to have been born into a a traditional devotional Hindu family, Mm -hmm. uh, being raised with pujas and with love and and with so many relatives around them who are supportive. The same two girls who used to praise their parents in videos made really eerie videos accusing their parents of rape and accusing their parents of selling them into prostitution as kids, Um, accusing the mother of having an affair with a man who raped one of the daughters. Like, it's crazy, the false accusations they're making against their parents now, which started only when the parents brought the police to retrieve their kids. So it's the same way that these fake accusations came against me the day after I blew the whistle and made a Facebook post about the cult abuse. Right. So their typical pattern is the moment somebody speaks out against them, they do a full-on character assassination, putting the, the craziest things. And, and another thing this father had said is that he was told by one of the people in the ashram that if he goes to the media or if he talks about this, he will be charged with rape. They already had a girl who was going to be his accuser. And the way Indian law works is um, typically the judiciary will side with the woman. If a woman says she was raped, they will go with what she says. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm I'm not a a feminist or a male rights activist. I'm I'm more of a human. Like I'm a feminist in the sense of equality. Um, but I'm not one of those people who would say, well, that's how it should be. You know, believe the woman over the man every time, because not all women are honest right. and not all men are pigs. You know, there's there's such a huge spectrum of good and bad in both genders. Right. Um, but unfortunately, the way the Indian system is set up, uh, it favors victims. And I think that's why this cult has taken the strategy of putting a false rape accusation against any man who has ever spoken out against them because they have been successful in silencing a lot of guys that way. And and the other thing is those who are criticizing me as a whistleblower or Ardi Rao, the first rape victim of Nityananda who came forward, 
they're criticizing us by saying the law is skewed in our favor. So how can anybody trust us? We must be lying. It, it's kind of like going, um, going so far in the other direction where because women are assumed to be telling the truth, mm-hmm. they're using that to try to somehow prove that we're lying and that we're trying to take advantage of this. When in reality, it's the other way around. Um, his organization takes advantage of that, putting false accusations against any detractors or whistleblowers. But again, the good news that the good news in this update is that one of the men who had been falsely accused, named Lenin Karupan, who was a, a big support to Arti Rao when she first put her rape accusation, um, he got falsely accused of attempted rape against one of the female sannyasis in the cult. And the police, the, the, the court threw away the complaint. Hmm. And they realized by now when a, when a complaint is made by this cult and the dates don't match up and the person who's, who is um, accused wasn't even in that place at that time, they, they've started to realize that these are false accusations. And the even bigger good news is that two of the ladies who had shifted Janavdan's kids out of the school mm-hmm. um, to hide them have been arrested. They're in prison now. They've been in prison for, for almost two weeks for, um, for, for kidnapping. Um, and they've got a, a long list of charges that they're facing. There's kidnapping, child abuse. Um, I, I don't remember the exact technical terms, but interfering with a police investigation mm-hmm. and the list goes on and, and who knows when these ladies, if ever, will be released. Incredible. Well, and, and the other thing is this cult accused the police of molesting the kids while they were doing investigations. And so it's kind of like they've, they've done their false accusation character assassination attack too many times to too many people. And finally, they did it to the wrong group of people mm-hmm. who are mm-hmm. you know, ethical police officers who are not going to accept their bribes, who are not going to back down in the face of their threats. Right. And so they're finally being taken to task. So I'm sure it's so nice for you to be able to just to say that and to know that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a long time in coming and there's, there's more, I'm sure, that is going to be disclosed and um, more people who are going to go down and might even be in process now. And certainly when, when there's more information to share, I'd love you to be able to, to share it. For sure. So the, the newest exciting news as of just a couple of days ago uh, is that Interpol has issued a blue notice against Nityananda himself. And it's not quite the same as a red notice where somebody is wanted and and up for arrest, but it is an inquiry, which means that Interpol is now investigating him and looking for his whereabouts and taking whatever information they can get from the Indian police. Mm -hmm. So the moment Interpol accepts the case and gets involved, as far as I'm concerned, that means he's no longer um, safe in his hideout. Mm -hmm. Um, The December program, the $16,000 program in December was officially canceled. And this is the first time they are canceling a December program in over a decade. Wow. And uh, just two days ago, one of the male male, um, sannyasis who was from India went forward to the Indian media and said that Nityananda had indecently proposed sex to him 
So that means the first of the male victims is speaking out after a decade. The last time a male victim came forward, he was charged with, with rape um, by a false accusation against him for speaking out. So it's like the momentum of all the media coverage, especially Republic TV and Times India and India Today, like all the major networks in India mm-hmm. are now exposing this. And so it's giving a lot of courage to the victims that if they do want to speak out, now's the time to do it because mm-hmm. public opinion is in their favor. And it'll be too painfully obvious now if a false accusation is made against any of them because it'll be so clear that it's just a retaliatory false accusation. Right. Oh, wow. It's only when the kids told me they were being abused that I started to recognize the abuse I myself had gone through as something other than training. You know, I, I was so gaslit to believe that when I got yelled at or punished or, or sent to sleep in a dirty spot or, or publicly chastised, I was so tr- conditioned to believe this is part of my training and I need this, this is perfecting me, that I didn't stop to consider that was abuse until, until the kids told me they got beaten. And I saw Leah Remini's series, Scientology in the Aftermath, and, and read about what was being done to people in Scientology and thought, well, shit, that's exactly the same thing that's happening to me. So maybe this isn't traditional Hinduism. Maybe this is an abusive cult. And it, it was only after I recognized that, that my, my own inner um, devotion towards that fraud started to kind of boil over and, and become questionable. I think I mentioned to you that when I left the cult after finding out about the child abuse, I still wore that choker with his picture on it. Yeah. And I still prayed to him. I, I still thought maybe he's good, but his organization is bad or the people volunteering for him have taken a bad turn. And so it's interesting, the process a person has to go through when they realize they've been lied to and, and that they've been abused and they've been used by a cult. Mm-hmm. It's not something that happens overnight. And so another thing a lot of these um, critics are, are saying about me is that if, if I was telling the truth, I wouldn't have waited a year to go public about it. And it's not a matter of waiting a year. It's a matter of taking a year to process the experience right. and recognize it for what it is and get the courage to speak out. Like, like you said, um, anybody who goes against that cult knows exactly the character assassination that they're going to face when they do it. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like if somebody tells you, um, if you rescue that drowning person, there's a good chance your head's going to get pushed under the water and you'll drown with him. Are you mm-hmm. still going to jump in and do it? Right. Um, somebody has to be confident in their ability as a swimmer to jump into these waters and save somebody else. That's kind of how I was feeling when I went public. You know, will I be able to withstand the character attack? Mm-hmm. Um, if I get sued in this process, will I have the, the legal strength and the support to to fight that false accusation. So a lot of people don't come forward because they're, they're, they're quite sim- they're not prepared for it. It's hard to be prepared for it because you also don't know what shape it's going to take. And um, so you, you can't be quite prepared for all of it. Um, and so you just have to be ready and know that you have a support system 
I mean, that's also sometimes why people wait a while because they're trying to take that time to connect with other people. So they have a team and they know they're not this lone voice out there just saying something that's not at all going to be handled well. But I think also back to your point about watching another show and saying, oh, this also happened to me. That is exactly why people wait because they didn't know that that was abuse. Like you were saying, Mm -hmm. in fact, it's clearly said to you that that's part of your training. That's part of uh, sort of guiding you along a spiritual path. And so you don't know it's wrong. And you wouldn't think necessarily that you're supposed to be complaining about it. Because I think built into the system too, is that if you are not happy about it, there's something wrong with you. Uh, mm-hmm. And if you're having a negative reaction, again, there's something wrong with you. So, so there are so many reasons. And I think there shouldn't be a statute of limitations on so many of these cases, especially ones that are, you know, sexual in nature too. A lot of people yeah. still have so much shame. And, and unfortunately, you know, it should be the person who does this to other people or the ones who feel the shame, but it's usually yeah. the ones who are victimized walk around with the shame. And I wish I, I wish I could take that away from there. I know also that there, there was a comment that we will you know, hopefully talk about another time just in a response to the one of the previous interviews with you about how, well, the, you know, this is the way um, Hindu belief is that this sort of, this is in line with Hindu belief, yeah. which we know, I mean, I, I know very little about it. You know, a lot about it, yeah. um, but we were both thinking, no, no. Uh, so I think what happens is that there are a lot of people who are devoted to a particular tradition uh they came to it themselves or they come from a lot of generations of it and they find these groups so destructive and distasteful because it's such a perversion Mm -hmm. of what it's supposed to be and it's using the title of it being kind of this this is the way a hindu group really does believe and this is uh, hindu philosophy to hide the fact that it's it is a complete perversion of it. Yeah, exactly. Well, and these major Indian television networks that are now exposing this cult, the majority of these people involved are Hindus themselves. Mm -hmm. And they're speaking out against the cult Mm -hmm. and they're interviewing. Um, I've been interviewed on a few of those channels. Janardan has as well. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of my friends now have also been invited to participate in their televised debates and to give interviews. So it's obvious that what this cult leader is doing is not traditional Hinduism because it's Hindu people who are now at the forefront of exposing his cult abuse. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in fact, one of the men who was there with Janardan on this major network as a support, he exactly said that the way this man who calls himself Nityananda is behaving it is an abomination in the eyes of the Hindus. Mm. You know, the way he abuses people is not Vedic. And the way he misleads people and, and claims that he is an enlightened incarnation, in fact, it's an insult to the actual incarnations and actual masters. I believe, and, and this is just my personal take, I would love to hear your take on it actually as somebody trained in psychology. Um, but from my experiences with him, He definitely never takes responsibility for anything that goes on within people. He doesn't believe emotions are justified. He thinks emotions are fake and stupid, his exact words. Mm. 
And so if somebody says that they've been hurt by his training, um, he will think that that person is a failure and is useless. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that if they had just done what he said better, this would never be happening. Um, and he's, he's definitely the type of person who suffers with victim mentality. He thinks that there's a concerted global effort to destroy him because he thinks that he's a threat to um, the current global paradigm of belief. Um, mm. it's, it's kind of like there, there are some people who would say something like that and I would believe them, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, people like, um, like the, these archaeologists who carbon date monuments and discover that they're 10,000 years old and then their career gets destroyed because other archaeologists won't recognize that because it doesn't fit their history books. If, if those people say, you know, there was a concerted effort to destroy me, I believe them. But when, when somebody like this fraud says there's a concerted effort to destroy him, it's more like he's not ready to recognize that his own crimes are catching up with him mm-hmm. because the people who are quote unquote destroying him are people who are just fighting for justice after they've been hurt by him. Mm-hmm. You know, like this man, Jonathan, who I mentioned, he didn't want to go against the organization. He just wanted to get his kids back. Mm-hmm. And when his kids were kidnapped out from under his nose and police weren't allowed to enter the school and then a character assassination was done against him, accusing him of crimes that he didn't commit. Of course he fought back. Mm-hmm. And then the cult says that now he's an abuser and that he's in league with me and that the Vatican is paying us. And that, I mean, they've even claimed that I have Illuminati connections and that I'm paying a million dollars each to anybody speaking out against this cult, um, which is just crazy. And I know for a fact, because I've seen the way that group works behind the scenes, I know that it's his, it's Nityananda's personal instruction for all of these character assassinations to be done. He sent me a message once saying, I'm sorry that you weren't ready for my training. Yeah. And so that's the best uh-huh. I think anybody can expect from him is that, you know, he'll, he'll tell you that um, you've interpreted his actions as painful and that he's sorry that you chose to be hurt. Um, uh, but yeah. he's never actually going to take responsibility for for deliberately hurting people. Um, wow. And I, I think that he's also like, you might be interested one day just as a professional um, um, research project to watch a few of his recent discourses because um, I don't watch them anymore, but I have friends who send me detailed notes uh-huh. um, just for interest's sake. Um, he... He has been talking a lot lately about the fact that he is being persecuted, but he is everything and he is everyone. So it's the him in others who are persecuting the him in him. And if you listen to him talk, he sounds like a like a lunatic going on a crazy rant. Like the me and you is attacking the me and me because I've decided that I need to experience uh-huh. If you look at traditional Hindu scriptures, transcending and going beyond the I, me, mine is the whole purpose of, of enlightenment. Oh. Um, going beyond this, this feeling of entitlement and self-differentiation. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like he read that and misinterpreted it. And instead of realizing that we are all in a state of oneness with each other, mm-hmm. 
he's taken it to mean that he is everything and he is everyone. And uh-huh. it's it's just very it's it's it would be funny if there weren't so many people getting hurt in it. Right. Um, and the, and this is another interesting thing. There are some comedians in India who used to make videos mimicking him and impersonating him mm. and criticizing him like like as a caricature, kind of like a caricature of what he is. Um, one of those comedians sent me a message saying, you know, he's been our longstanding joke. Um, but thank you for pointing out that he's also dangerous and hurting people and abusive. And that comedy team has taken a little break. They're not mimicking and impersonating him anymore because they recognize it's not a laughing matter. Um, but I, I, I told him he should go ahead and keep making these joke videos because it's healing for a lot of us. Um, the survivors group, we've got now almost 300 people who left the cult, who joined this group on Facebook of Nityananda cult survivors. Um, they were circulating these humorous videos because it, like they always say, laughter is the best medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's kind of funny to look at the person you used to worship as God incarnate and see how stupid they actually are, how ridiculous um, and silly their statements are in the context of uh of an environment i think that like the one that you were in a lot of people do believe that if they don't understand it it's not it's because they're not there yet they right right they haven't they haven't been there long enough they haven't opened their their heart to it or their third eye to it or whatever it is they're not seeing uh and also you're surrounded by people who are probably nodding their heads like they get it, even if they don't at all. Yeah. And so you don't want to be the only one saying, you all realize that didn't make sense, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, because you'd be told, well, from your third dimensional perspective, it doesn't make sense. But he's speaking from the 11th dimensional plane. So you need to raise your consciousness and then it will make sense. <laughs> okay. Well, next yeah. time I say something that doesn't make sense, I'll say that I'm speaking from the 11th. We'll see if that helps yeah. at all. Probably won't. No, we'll see. Well, it's, and it's so funny because recently um, I was interviewed on another podcast by a guy named Matt Delia. And it it's such a cool podcast that he has. I've started watching it and listening to it now myself. But he recently tweeted, um, anytime you make an obvious mistake in front of somebody, just look them right in the eye and say, I meant to do that. And it was perfect. Uh-huh. And I replied to him and said, did you learn this from Nityananda? Because that's exactly what he does. <laughs> um, you know, if, if he, if he makes a mistake, he'll look at people around him and say, I did that to create the situation where all of you can learn from this. How many recognize what I really meant to do? Mm-hmm. You know, he will never admit fault. He will never admit that he made a mistake or did something wrong. Um, I saw him spill food once and he blamed the people who were feeding him and said, you didn't set this tray properly. It's like he could just admit that he was clumsy, you know? I went to a service once that was at a particular group and the leader came down the stairs and missed a step and and tripped a little bit. Oh yeah. And blamed everyone in the room because they must've had some negative energy that caused him to do that. And I, I remember thinking to myself, okay, I'm not going to say anything because I'm really watching this from a psychological yeah. perspective and a social psychological perspective because people then started turning on each other and seeing who was the one who had caused, you know, their spiritual 
teacher to to fall and but yeah. I there was a part of me that wanted to trip him and say how old are you really like you yeah. <laughs> people fall down yeah. stairs it's okay you can say yeah. whoops you know and that actually shows you to be an adult in that moment um, exactly and they don't realize how much they're showing the child in them by needing to blame other people like someone else broke the cookie jar so okay so I know that we're we're yeah. done with our time. We can often talk. <laughs> I know there is, there's so much to talk about because what I find when I talk to you, when I talk to people who've had these kinds of experiences is that, and this is sort of the point of the podcast that, yeah, we're talking about Netanyahu, but we're not. We're, we're talking about how this can happen, the nature of the relationship where somebody can take advantage of someone else's trustworthy nature and someone mm -hmm. else's spiritual seeking and someone else's goodness and not give them that in return and make them work for it or make them feel that they um, deserve to be mistreated or really abused. And that is something that can happen within spiritual environments, within self-help groups, within, you know, sometimes even between counselors and their patients. I mean, yeah. I hate to say it, but I've seen it. And yeah. anyone who's in a kind of a position of authority who shouldn't be there, who is there for the wrong reasons and and then how to break free from that. So I'm so glad that also the, the law is catching up and just having that sense of, of the beginnings of the wheels of justice turning Yes. so exciting and as it yeah. thank you and yeah and and the other thing is of, of the emotions he'll be feeling right now I think fear is another one mm. he's definitely afraid of getting caught ah okay I've, I've seen the look of fear on his face like I said when he dropped his at malinga or um, somebody tried to serve him summons to a court once during one of his public appearances, and you could see the fear on his face when he ordered his team to remove that person from the hall. Um, he fled to Ecuador for a reason. If he wasn't afraid of getting thrown in jail, um, he would have gone to court and defended himself like anybody else. But right. um, I think that he he believed he was safe in a country that doesn't have an extradition treaty with India. Um, forgetting that such a thing as Interpol exists that can go in no matter which country he's in and drag him back mm -hmm. so that he has to face court. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, so it's, it's an exciting time. Um, really good, really good. And, and I know that you've been a part of helping to empower people to share their stories. And then you hope that this keeps um, the ball rolling. Exactly. Uh, again, and helps to do a lot of really good education and prevention in this group and others like it. Yeah. So um, so I, I thank you again for your time and also for updating us because honestly, a lot of people were writing in after I spoke with you, mm. they were outraged. Uh, they were so saddened that hearing the stories and hearing the stories of the children and saying, how come, how come this isn't being stopped? What is being done? Yeah. And so when you let me know things are being done, I thought, oh, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes please. Well, it's it's my pleasure and thank you. And thank you to everyone else who's saying that. Okay, well, thank you, Rachel. It's always a pleasure. Yes, always a pleasure for me as well. And I will talk to you soon. All right, talk to you soon. Okay, great. Okay, bye-bye. One more thing before you go. Thank you to Sarah for coming back on the show. 
I'm glad she's had a chance to update you and I let her know to keep us posted as more information comes in. This seems to be, as they say, a dynamic situation, moving and shaking at the moment. I know that some of you are not necessarily going to be as interested in what happens with Nitanyanda as others, to be honest. But for some of you, it will be more about kind of that very healing and empowering idea that sometimes eludes people who have been through bad experiences. And that idea is justice. The idea that sometimes justice is served, not often enough, but sometimes is very gratifying and relieving. And I know a lot of you listening have had experiences in your life where that was not the case, where someone in a variety of different contexts got away with something they should not have, and either the law protected them and not you, or you were dissuaded from doing anything about it for fear of making waves or of losing your job, your relationship, being seen as a complainer, or for fear that the responsibility would be turned around and placed directly on you, the victim. I wanted to highlight something that Sarah said about the apology she got from Nitanyanda. I find apologies very telling. There are some people who don't believe in them, and that's fine, but it depends upon why they don't believe in them. If they don't believe in them because they just don't want to have to give them to you, well, that's not a good enough reason. If they don't believe in them because they think an apology is just words and they know that the only true apology is changed behavior and they're going to change their behavior and have already started doing so. But let's go back to the apology that Sarah said she got from Nitanyanda. He said, I'm sorry you were not ready for my training. I am sure all of you listening can hear very clearly what's wrong with that apology. It follows by a certain code of conduct that people who feel entitled or who are narcissistic or just evasive and are used to being kind of slick with their wording and sounding as though they're saying something sincere, well, they like to follow by that kind of code. It has that telling third word that lets you know it's derailed from the start. I'm sorry you instead of I'm sorry I. If someone says you instead of I after saying the words sorry, you know that apology is going south and fast. So I'm sorry you were not ready for my training. Yeah, there's so much wrong with that. And what does ready mean here too? Ready, I suppose, means so conditioned that it wouldn't bother you. But in an attempt to somehow spiritually help you or heal you, I did what I did. And possibly you weren't strong enough in my book to be able to take it, whatever it was. Some people will say to me, you don't understand. The person does feel remorse. They did apologize to me. I don't doubt there are some people who do things they shouldn't and feel remorse. Genuinely. I do doubt, though, that some people who think they were apologized to were actually apologized to. So here are some of the apologies you need to watch out for. The apology, as we said, that starts with the word you instead of I, like, I'm sorry that you are so annoying that I had to yell at you. That's actually a quote from a couple session in my office last week. And of course, as always, I ask people permission 
if I can use something on the podcast? They said yes, because they realized afterwards how kind of non-constructive that was. Or, I'm sorry that you were not spiritually enlightened enough to understand my true intention. Well, that's not an apology, but rather an insult to you and your status kind of as a spiritual novice and a way for them to not have to take any responsibility. There's also the completely fake selfless apology. I'm sorry that you are so emotionally needy that you cannot move on until I apologize, but if that's what you need, I will do it for you. Then there's the blatant selfish apology. I will apologize to you if you not only take responsibility for what you did to cause me to react that way, but after I apologize to you, you have to forgive me and acknowledge that this proves I am willing to do that for you. There's also the evening the score apology, which is something I used to have to deal with in a previous relationship of mine, to be honest, and it has stayed with me. And by the way, these terms for these kinds of apologies, I'm making up. I don't know if they're official terms, but they're the ones that sort of label it for me in my mind and kind of give you a way, I think, to label it. But you can call them whatever you'd like. So a person I was with for a while would often not be careful about their words and tone and the timing of things they said. And I would get upset at times by a lot of the things that were said. And I'd hear in return, Fine. I see you're upset. I'll apologize if you apologize at the same time, because in a relationship, the reason one person treats the other person a certain way is because the person they're with has caused them to feel that way, or this was my favorite part, has created the environment that allows for that in the past so that they might not have known it was wrong. So I will apologize if you apologize, and then we can move on. And you know what? I did move on. Then there is the preventative behavior modification apology. I will apologize to you this time if you never ask me to do that again. Then there's the disqualifying apology, the I'm sorry, but. I got upset and I'm sorry, but you have to see that what you did was so bothersome and annoying. This disqualifying apology justifies their behavior towards you because you have to look at what you did to somehow create it. And by the way, if someone says, I'm sorry, but, that's when you either walk away as soon as they say that word, but, or you stop them and you say, I'm sorry is a whole sentence. You should have said, I'm sorry, period. I'm sorry, but is usually also followed by the word you to go back to the example from before. I'm sorry, but you made me so upset. You should have known better. You made me so angry last week that I was still holding on to it today, which you should have realized. Or, I'm sorry, but you misunderstood. And you always misunderstand when I get upset that I'm just letting off steam and it's not personal or whatever the justification is. The other apology you want to watch out for is what I call the PR apology. If someone only apologizes to you as a grand gesture in front of other people, it is PR, public relations, for them. Again, going back to the previous relationship of mine, I knew I would only hear the words, I'm sorry, if there were other people around who were listening to the interchange and 
sometimes I would hear people who were listening and say, oh, that's so nice. What a good person. So this person got what they needed in terms of social accolades and approval. And I got an empty and self-serving and completely disingenuous nothing of an apology. And the apologies that I see as a little comical, even though they can actually feel very tense at the moment, are the hostile apologies. When you seem upset or you get upset and you express it and the person yells at you, fine, if you need it so badly, I'll say I'm sorry. There, are you satisfied? Mm, nope, you're probably not satisfied in that moment, but you are educated. You're educated because now you know they can't handle any of that. So you need to either stop expecting it or better yet, be with someone who can actually be an adult and take responsibility. So if you are harmed by someone in big ways or even in little ways, and you're expected to participate in acknowledging and taking responsibility for the harm they caused you, like if you hadn't been standing in the doorway, I wouldn't have had to push you to get you out of the way. Or if you weren't so sensitive, then what I did wouldn't have bothered you at all. Well, actually, as I'm saying this, I'm remembering, I'm remembering a story from a number of years ago. There were two young girls in first grade. They were in a classroom that I was visiting while I lived in New York. They had been through the foster care system and already had had tough lives in their young years and were very spunky and strong, but would sometimes mimic the behavior they had seen around them in their foster homes. And sometimes they also just took out their frustrations and anger on each other. So one day, I walked into the classroom to observe them, just as one of them, who was named Sasha, screamed in the face of the other one, who went by her initials, Cece. And this is what Sasha was screaming. I'm only screaming at you because you were so mad at me. I hate when you're mad at me. You yelled a really bad word at me, and I'm your friend. And I know I'm going to be hauled off to the principal's office for doing this. And I'm going to have to apologize to you, but I'm not going to do it. And I'm not going to mean it. It feels really good to scream in your face right now. She screamed. You're supposed to be my friend. And I hate this because I also know that I'm still going to want to play with you after lunch. So I'm screaming at you for a lot of reasons. And my head feels really messed up. That was incredibly sophisticated, by the way. And Cece just stood there, strong, upright, as they were kind of almost nose to nose. And when her friend stopped screaming in her face, she said, you about done? I'm still going to play with you after lunch. And I hope this doesn't offend anyone because their language actually was um, a little salty for first graders. But... I'm going to continue honoring them and quoting them. So CC continued. And if you had waited a goddamn minute before losing your goddamn mind, I could have told you that the reason I yelled the F word at you was because you stomped on my foot when you were dancing and you're wearing boots with some pointy shit under them. And I'm wearing flip flops and it hurt like a mofo. <laughs> um, so. Then she continued, and I know you didn't do it on purpose, but it still hurt. But you just got up in my face when I yelled, and that was not cool. So then 
Sasha stopped and took a step backward and looked down at the scraped up skin on Cece's foot. And she said, oh man, that looks ugly. <laughs> I did that? Sorry about that. Hey, Teach, we're going to go to the office. I got to get Cece some ice for her foot. So Cece said thanks as they walked off hand in hand. And then I heard her say to Sasha, now my feet are going to be as ugly as yours. And they both laughed. These girls were just seven years old. And at the age of seven, the one who injured her friend inadvertently could take care of her and acknowledge and take responsibility for what she had done. And it didn't make her look weak. It showed her to be mature and strong and confident and kind. And the injured friend was able to step up too and trusted their friendship enough to be able to safely speak her mind. They both clearly knew their relationship was worth it. And I think if someone had told them then what a challenge that is for some adults to do, to do what they just did, they would have been surprised to hear it. It is genuinely hard for some adults to do that, either because they were never given the tools or they were never allowed to show the perception of weakness by apologizing. Or as I see more often in my work, they never develop the maturity to be able to handle accountability. It's a sign of conscience, strength, maturation, awareness of the other, and the ability to show you care and that you're willing and able to make it right. It's so easy, even a seven-year-old can do it. Talk to you next week. As we move into the new year, I am thinking about people who have moved from one part of their lives to another, who have needed to say goodbye to their old life or their relationships, and have needed to somehow emerge into the world again, or into the world for the first time, and into a safer place, a safer environment with healthier people. And I would love to know how you do it and how you did it and what helped along the way. It's so important for the listeners to be able to learn from you. So as the new year begins, I'll be doing another call-in show. And this one with the theme of new beginnings. So if you'd like to have a question that you'd like me to answer on the show, or if you'd like to kind of give a brief synopsis about what helped you end the old part of your life and start anew, and what challenges you had, and even also what was not helpful, what was not good to do on your way. That's educational as well. Please leave a message at indoctrinationshow at gmail.com if you want to leave a written message, and you can let me know if you'd like me to use your name or not. Or you can leave a voicemail message on my office line at 818-907-0036. If it cuts you off, then just call back and continue your message. And let me know also if you want me to use your name or not. Please do so within the next few weeks so I can put together the call-in show as we begin the new year. Thank you so much. I'm excited to say that this podcast is now available on additional platforms. If you want to listen to Indoctrination, it's available for download 
on the NPR Radio Public app, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. Please support indoctrination at patreon.com slash indoctrination. We now have a big library of content that you can access with any donation. And subscribers receive bonus interviews and other cool goodies. We love hearing from you too. So send us an email at indoctrinationshow at gmail.com. Thank you for your support.